it's our last month episode. What to focus on in the final month of the season. How to allocate fab down the stretch. When to drop injured players. And a look at some strategies for 2024 drafts in terms of risk. Baseball HQ Radio's Patrick Davitt joins us next on Beat the Shift. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen. And as always, with me, Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Got back from vacation. We had a nice uh, nice week-long summer vacation for the family. It's always nice. Wrapped up the regular season of a couple of my leagues. First place in one, second place in the other. Going into the playoffs, first round buys in each. Pretty good. How, how's, uh, how's your summer vacation going, Ruben? It went great. We actually went to Rochester. We saw a AAA game, the Yankees, uh, the, uh, the, the Rail Riders, against the Red Wings of Rochester. And we got to see a couple of players who actually got called up later that night. Jason Dominguez and Austin Wells were both called up that night after I saw them play in an actual game, which was really cool. There you go. And the entire... Los Angeles Angels were put on waivers, apparently, the other day. You hear that? It, that was crazy. Yes, they're, they're, I think they're called the Guardian Angels now because they're yeah. in Cleveland. <laughs> I think that's I think it's the running joke. But, yeah, I I've, I don't remember a, 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 a fab like this before where this happens where players just get picked off of waivers like this. I, this many players, I just don't remember it. I think we should hand out fab dollars to all the teams. And have the teams like you know use them during the season. Uh, you're out of fab. You know pl- players coming off waivers. You can't get them. No. And the Marlins and the Marlins can't have one dollar bids either or zero dollar bids. <laughs> no zero dollar bids. Allowed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's been a couple of weeks, but uh, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We got a great show tonight. Uh, we've got Patrick Davitt from Baseball HQ Radio. What's going on, Patrick? Hello. How are you, Ariel? I'm doing fantastic, and uh, how's your summer going? Um, so far, so good. It's been uh, a bit dodgy on the weather up here in Canada because of the smoke from the, all those fires and what have you, and and it's been raining pretty heavily, but it's going to be real nice next week. Could be even uh, heading off to the pool in September, which is relatively rare, and I'm pretty happy about the, uh, about the Angels dump situation because I've got Hunter Renfro on my tout team and uh, I think in Cincinnati he could be a little more of a threat to to hit some home runs and drive in some runs. You got Renfro on the NL Tout team? No, on the American League Tout team. Oh, the American League Tout. Oh, that's right. They continue to play on the uh, NL. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So it's a good deal. Yeah, no, hopefully that helps you and helps everybody else who uh who it does. Uh, I've got Randall Grechuk on a, a bunch of teams. Is it, 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 it clear where he's heading yet? He's I, I thought he was going to Cincinnati also. No, uh, Harrison Bader went to Cincinnati. No one, Grichuk was oh, the only right. one that wasn't picked up. He was the only one that was not picked up. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, let's see what happens there. So we're going to do a uh, strategy section. It's our last month episode, and uh, not the last month of this podcast, but what do we do in the last month of the baseball season? And a couple of questions and strategy topics to uh, PK your imagination about what to do in the final month of the season. So let's start it off, Patrick, and let's talk about categories, uh, rotisserie categories in particular. What categories do you find can more easily move in the final month of the season where you can gain ground or lose ground? Well, of course, um, you can really only lose ground, I think, in uh, the ratio categories, at least that's the way I think of it. But when it comes to the categories in general, in my experience, I've found that it really varies from year to year on the tightness of the categories. And I can give you an example. In the Tout American League only auction league this year, I'm just sitting third, a half a point out of second. But when I look at the categories, I'm pretty much locked in in homers and RBIs, but I've got a lot of opportunity to gain in stolen bases, on-base percentage, ERA, whip. So that's just this year, because in previous years, I can remember home runs being right down to the wire, or pitcher wins. 
is almost always usually pretty tight, but that doesn't necessarily mean an individual team can take advantage of that because it depends on where you are in the big clump. Sometimes you're ahead of the big clump, sometimes you're behind it, um, sometimes you're on top of it and all you can do is lose, sometimes you're on the bottom, all you can do is gain. The thing you have to do, I think, uh, Ariel, is to look at each category and be really realistic about your chances of making gains in it. And to my way of thinking, that means getting out those ATC projections and projecting all the teams in the rest of, uh, the rest of the way for all of your league and see how the categories project to shape up rather than looking at them today because so much can happen between now and then. You want to really have an idea. It's, I'm 10 RBIs short of catching a point in RBIs. That means I should do that. Well, that's how it is now. But by the end of the season, gosh, you could be 18 RBIs down and, and now it's a much more difficult uh, task to accomplish. So that's my advice as far as looking at the categories is project your league as accurately as you can and make your calculations and make your strategies based on where you where you project to be, not where you are today. Yeah, obviously, it really is going to be league specific. You know, you're going to have, you know, depending upon what league you're in, you know, you might have tighter categories and not. Obviously, I left the this is a very general question. And you did mention the ATC projections uh, just to let everybody know that uh, those were those update nightly on Fangraphs for playing time. ATC rest of season projections use Fangraphs playing time. Uh, the uh, rates were uh, updated right after I left uh, for vacation, and I'll do one final update right after Labor Day. Uh, it'll take you the rest of the season, and the playing time will update nightly. So, Ruvain, what about you? And, again, this is a general question, and, of course, you have to look at your own specific league, and as Patrick said, yes, project where you're going to be and see what is tight. But for you, what, which categories are you most concerned about on the whole in general? I think it's I think it's the opposite of what oh, what Patrick said. I think the ratio categories are what you have to look for. In the last two weeks, um, in the GDD league, I've gained seven points in ERA and WHIP, and I've lost three points in batting average. So you know, I think you have to be very careful what you do with these ratios. You can't bomb them. If you need wins, don't just take any two star pitcher and throw them out there because you can still lose. You know, ratio in, in the array and whip. Same thing when it, when it goes for saves. If, if you're getting a an iffy guy for saves and he has a blow up, he can not get you to save and hurt you the array and whip. Same with batting average. I think you still have to look for the hot players on the waiver wire and have them on your bench just in case you need a batting average guy toward the end because those batting average numbers, those tend to fluctuate a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. And you can gain a point here and point there. And that can be the difference if you can't gain on home runs or RBRs or other stat categories like that. Yeah, I'd say that the ratio categories, and I think, Patrick, I think uh, you had Paul Spore on your show last week, and he mentioned this as well, that you know ERA can come back to you, whereas all the counting categories are counting upwards. You know, if you've got a 30-point lead, you know, you're, you're not losing 30 homers, right? Uh, but you can lose ERA or somebody else can lose ERA and back into you. So ERA and whip can actually fluctuate uh, quite a bit, batting average too. Uh, I, I'll also add that anything with low quantities, you know, stolen bases, wins, saves, they have low quantity. They're in the, the high, you know, double digits, low hundreds. Um, those are going to be more tight in general, RBIs and runs. I mean, unless it's your own league has a ridiculous clump, you know, they're more spread out. We're talking numbers in the 900, 700s, 900,000, depending upon the number of uh, teams you're in. Uh, I'll, I'll go with that. Uh, in terms of fab, let's talk generally about what to do. Uh, what is your general idea of how you manage fab in the final month, Patrick? Well, at this stage of the season, I'm willing to be pretty aggressive with what little money I have left because I'm pretty aggressive all year, uh, sometimes to a fault. I spent 99 units out of 1,000 this week. I had about 170 left um, because in tout, you can claim back some, some fab money if you lose a player to injury that you drafted. But I spent 99 on our oldest Chapman because I'm pretty close in picking up three points in saves, and I believe that he's now at the head of the line in the Texas bullpen. So I thought that was a pretty good investment when you tie in the possibility of making a move in a particular category. And I don't think his ratios are going to kill me too badly. And he may even pick up some strikeouts, which could help me pick up a point over the reliever that he's replacing. So 
I like the uh, possibility of getting some traction from our oldest Chapman. I also put in a fairly substantial bid on JP Martinez in Texas because uh, the scuttlebutt when he got called up was that he, he was a stolen base potential guy. He had 28 or 30, I think, in AAA before his call-up, and I could really use those bags. And I noticed the other night that he, he was being used as a pinch runner, which might be the best of all possible worlds, because uh, batting average-wise, there is a threat there, as you guys just finished saying. So uh, really, the best thing he could be for me is a pinch hitter who could maybe get me the odd counting stat, but more importantly, a pinch runner who could pick me up some stolen bases. So, Ruvain, um, how much does it depend in terms of your usage of fab over the last month in terms of how you've been doing over the season? Obviously, if you're in dire need, you're going to have to spend more earlier. But how much in general do you find yourself uh, pacing no matter what? And how much do you find yourself saying, hey, it's really the situation that I'm in? I think it's a situation that you're in, but I think you could split up the fab almost equally the last four weeks of the season. Um, if you want to do three weeks and just have a couple extra bucks left over, that's fine. But usually you want to try to even it out. But I think it also depends on how much fab the players around you in the standings have. And you have to look at that. That's very important, too. You have to know exactly how much money... Uh, in fab and team that you're bidding against can bid so if you if you and realize how many how many weeks are left in the season and just think about it and just try to do them you know the quick math in your head if, if they have 20 out of a hundred of a budget of a thousand dollars if they have fifty dollars left and you have seventy five dollars left you can be a little bit more aggressive but if you have let's say twenty five dollars left and they have fifty dollars left you have to be a little bit not as aggressive unless you really want that one player because otherwise that you're going to get outbid no matter what so i think it really depends on on where you are and also take a look the last couple of weeks people have been bidding a little bit lower numbers you don't see any big numbers out there take a look at what everyone's going for recently and see that high number and see and try to figure out if you can get to that number or go someplace near it to get the player that you want otherwise you're going to be putting in bids and you're not going to get anything yeah your point about monitoring others is important and uh, i think that gets lost in the shuffle but the economic term is purchasing power um, when when you have bid a lot already and the others all have more than you, then you know your purchasing power towards the end is very low. But if everybody was purchasing a lot and you still have four hundred bucks out of a thousand, you know your purchasing power is so great that you know you're going to run everything. But you've already you've already not gotten enough the rest of the season. The the idea is. You want to, in general, look at what the spend of the league is doing throughout the season. And I'm not saying you have to be exactly in the middle, but you want to gauge yourself that you're not overly high or overly low. I, I've spoken about this topic when we talk about the an auction. When you do an auction throughout the auction, you want to somehow be somewhere in the middle, in the pack, that you're able to bid on players throughout, that you're able to bid on early players and late players. And I think the same is true. You want to be able to bid on players in April and May and in June and July and in August and September. So you want to be able to have a similar purchasing power throughout. Just keep tabs on where you are and you know slow down or speed up as you go. In general, though, my I, I just put a number on it. I like to have about 10 to 12% of the budget in in $1,000 leagues and maybe a little bit more, 12 to 15% for $100 leagues. Um, that's that's where you have a $1 minimum. And when you have zero minimum leagues, I think you can be closer in the last month to like 5%, 10% total because, you know, you can save you, – you always have a zero bid in terms of just getting a, a player, just anybody to play, and then you want to have 5 to 10% to bid over somebody else. Does that jive with you, uh, Patrick? It does, and uh... – Something else that Ruvain said I thought was really worth noting and thinking about is when you're in the last month of a league, there's only four weeks left for anybody you sign this week to impact your standings. And next week, there'll only be three weeks left for, for them to impact it. So I can see an approach where if you had $100 left at the start of, at the start of September, you might want to, to scale it out you know, 55 or 50, 25, 15, 10 for the last four weeks because of the extra impact you're going to get for the fourth week in that first week of the month. And as I said, when it's this close to the end, there's no point in saving up for that last week because the last week is probably going to be too late to have much of an effect on your standings positions anyway. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. That obviously, if you're getting triple the production or the triple the effect, you do want to have more fab. So the the right now the dollars should be a little bit more than the ones in the final week. I will say, however, I do like to have the hammer. I want to have the hammer in the last week because you never know what category can come up. Like for example, two years ago, I lost to Ron Chandler in labor, and it's because I only had a dollar left of fab. Whereas Ron had two or three, and since he had the hammer, he picked up Harrison Bader, and last week he he stole three bases. That propelled him up two points, knocked me down one, and he won by three, right? So having the hammer is important, but yes, the the scaling is is important. Of course, that's true for the whole season. You know, I like to spend 600, 650 of my fab in the first half and have three, 300, you know, to 400, let's say, uh, for the second half, because obviously the bigger impact, you, know, you want a player impacting you the whole season is worth more than just a half a season. Well, what's what's a what's a worse miscalculation, having leftover fab, or if it's an auction, having leftover money at the auction? What do you think about that? Oh, I'd way I'd way rather have leftover fab because in a lot of instances, leftover fab means you had a pretty lucky season as far as not having to replace guys. And there was really not much reason for you to spend aggressively, especially early on. But at the auction, boy, I I just never want to have maybe a dollar at the end if I'm unlucky. But I'd really like to spend every last dollar I have in the auction because that that's that's where the whole foundation of your team is. Uh, Ariel, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, a dollar in the auction is worth how many dollars a fab? Is worth what twenty five dollars a fab? Out of out of a hundred twenty five percent, right? It, it, each dollar of the auction is so much more precious, and it's earlier on. So the answer is clearly the auction violation. Fab is a mis, is a correction. You know, things come up. Right. There's injuries during the season. If you got lucky, then you didn't have to spend more fab, right? You're looking to spend mm-hmm. with the market. You know. Yep. yep. Exactly. So. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about lineups. In general, Patrick, should you be churning your roster a lot more in the final month of the season? Again, I think it depends on your situation. If you're lucky, you won't have to churn at all because your team will be firing on all cylinders and it won't really matter. Now, I can see if if you think there's something to be gained by streaming pitchers or hitters, because you think you can gain even a single strikeout or a home run or something by doing so, and the categories are tight enough where that's going to pay off, then by all means, it's something that you should do. But I don't necessarily think that you want to be any more aggressive. I certainly don't think you want to be churning for the sake of churning. I think if you're going to churn your roster heavily, you should have a reason for doing it that if somebody else came up to you and said, why are you churning so heavily? You'd be able to say because of A, B, and C, and then they'd go, I see. But if if you, if you they asked you that and you could only say, I listened to Ariel Cohen on a Beat the Shift podcast and he said to do it, so I'm going to do it. That's not a good reason to do anything. You should be able to to express to yourself and others why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, I think it really is depending upon what your team situation is. If you have tons and tons and tons of saves and, you know, you've got a big buffer, then you might want to churn your entire bullpen out of here or vice versa. You might want to churn your starters uh, around if you've got too many wins or if you've got a a 25 stolen base lead, just chug them. I mean, uh, just to give you an example, Ruven and I are in uh, doing an NFBC auction depending upon the day we're in second and third. Um, we, we've got a humongous lead in batting average. I mean, we've got fantastic team. We've got like, I don't know, let's say a, almost a 280 batting average, and the next best team is like a 265. We have Luis Arias. Um, even though Luis Arias is obviously a player that will play well above replacement in a 15-team league, um, we I, I'm considering dropping him. I mean, he doesn't steal. He doesn't have homers couple of runs, but no RBIs. If we don't really need the batting average, Luis Arias is worth like zero. So why would we even play him? We're not playing him anymore. Why would we even have him on our roster? You might see us see us churning that a little bit, uh, provided we think that the, the teams that will pick him up aren't the ones that actually can pass us in the standings and batting average. We wouldn't want to help somebody else. But, you know, churning for what you need category specific, go ahead. There's no rule that says you got to keep good players. Obviously, the player is going to help you in five categories, sure, but if they're only helping you two categories and you don't need them, 
churn, churn away in the final month. Absolutely. I think that's really a uh, sound advice. We hang on to our players for the wrong reasons a lot of times. And sometimes it's because we had them as keepers and we really liked them. Or sometimes it's because we spent quite a bit of money at the auction and we say, I can't, I can't throw Arias away. Look, he cost me $22 at the auction. Doesn't matter. He's not helping you now. Then he has no place on your roster. And I'll give you an example. It wasn't a churn. It was a trade. But many years ago, I was in a league that I had Mariano Rivera on my roster and his contract was expiring. And I had a big lead in saves, just like you, just like you suggested. And I traded Rivera to another guy in the league for nothing. I got back a dollar of fab or just nothing. And all the guys were saying, why did you do that? I said, well, the team to whom I traded Mariano Rivera is going to go by three teams that are chasing me in the overall. So I'm gaining three points indirectly by putting Rivera on that other roster where he can do some harm to my opponents and thereby help me. So those assets that you have in your roster can help you in indirect ways as well as just by the stats are putting down on your tally sheet. But I also, th I also think you have to consider where you are in the month of September. Let's say you're two months, two weeks into September and there's only two weeks left in the season. Think about who you're dropping. Let's say you drop a Luis Suarez and someone needs to gain batting average points. They're only going to be able to have him for one week, a week and a half maybe. Is he going to play the last week of the season? You don't even know these things. So, you know, if you're going to churn, make sure to be smart about who you drop and when you drop him. You know, if you have a starting pitcher and, and he's you don't, you don't trust him or you think he's going to be shut down and you can get maybe one or two starts left and you could drop him. Like, for, for instance, I have Dakota Hudson on a lot of different teams. Next week he's playing the Braves. If I drop him this week... What are, is someone else going to get from him? They're not going to get the start this week, and you may get um, um, a start in the following week, or maybe two starts the following week after that. Is it worth it to drop him and churn and, and get a different starting pitcher in that spot? I think that's maybe the proper thing to do when you churn. Yeah, let me ask you, uh, Ruben, an injury question. You know, there's going to be a bunch of injuries for players who, oh, they're out, you know, for the next couple of days. Oh, it looks like they're sore, blah, blah, blah. Or uh, they're doing a rehab start. I don't know. What is your general rule or what is the right advice to give people in terms of rostering injured players the final month of the season? You know, when is the, what is the bar for you in terms of when to drop them or when to be at all interested in, in, in retaining a player like that? Well, first of all, you have to think about if they're injured now, when they're going to come back and how much you're going to get out of them. Just like I said before, if you're not going to get that much out of them in the, in the last week or two in the season, like let's say you have a starting pitcher, let's say you picked up Joe Musgrove, you got him for off the waiver wire last week. What are you going to get out of him next week? What are you going to get out of the week after? What are you going to get out of the week after? Probably not that much. So for, for someone who has him, it's almost like a wasted roster spot that you can have someone else for. Um, but I also think it really depends on the type of injuries. It depends if it's a hitter or, or a pitcher. If it's a, if it's a pitcher and they have an elbow issue or even like let's say Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman has a rib injury. He just started playing catch this week. Do you think you're going to get more than three starts out of him the rest of the year? He still has to build up. He still has to rehab. And plus, the minor league season ends in. Uh, I mean, I know the AAA minor league season ends a week before the season ends. So he's not even not going to have any place to even rehab. So they're going to just put him in. And how long is he going to go for? So you have to really think about these questions when it comes to it. Also, for hitters or pitchers, whatever it may be, if you hear the word oblique or you hear the uh, quad or anything like that. Grade one is two to four weeks. Grade two is four weeks and beyond, usually six weeks. So if you hear those terms, grade one, you can hold on to them because there's a chance they can come back, but they still may need rehab. If it's a grade two, there's no reason to keep them. They can be dropped. Yeah, I have a quick rule called the 50% rule in, in September. If you aren't going to get or you're, if you're not certain enough that you're going to get 50% of the playing time or 50% of the regular production that you're going to get from your your player you, you really don't need to hold a person right if they're if there's 3 weeks left and they're out for the next week you can't guarantee exactly when they can come back there's really almost no purpose to holding them you need you need production you know you you, you can't get zeros you you can't get it's not about upside it's not about well but this guy is mike trout he'll give me now you need to bank on something remember a guy who shows half the production of Mike Trout, like if Mike Trout is gonna gonna have forty homers and and uh, well let, let's do let's do Acuna even you know fifty you know forty homers and fifty steals right half the production you know twenty five twenty five or so 
You know, we're talking half the price, right? So if you have a $10 guy, a $5 guy, you know, if you take half half of that price, you know, you're teetering on a waiver guy. There's absolutely no need to, to get a guy, to keep a guy who's going to give you less than 50% of, of production guaranteed. You just need to bank stats. I agree with that. And the reason is because uh, many years ago, Somebody very smart in this game said to me while we were sitting around at First Pitch Arizona, actually, they said, what people need to understand, it's not the player who creates the stats, it's the slot. It's the roster slot that's creating the value. And so you have to make ab optimum use of the slot and, and only then start thinking about which player is going to do that for you in the, given all the circumstances surrounding the player, the injury, the amount of time left, and all the other things that you guys say. Don't think of it as, this is Mike Trout. Think of it as, this is my outfield one slot. And if Mike Trout's not available for it, I've got to get, as, as uh, Ariel just said, I have to get production from the slot. Keep the slot in mind, not just the player. And and use and using Mike Trout's example is perfect. He's got a wrist injury. He's still recovering from the from the fracture and the surgery and everything like that. So he's still recovering. He's not active right now. He is not swinging a bat. He came back. He had pain. Is he going to get you any stats this week? Is he going to get you any stats next week? Is he going to rehab? Are the Angels going to shut him down? There's so many question marks about him. You'll probably get more value on the waiver wire for a fill-in than you will for Mike Trout the rest of the season. Yeah, no. agree. Back to you, Ruben, on, on a couple of uh, specific pitchers. Um, Joe Musgrove, Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright is you're doing some rehab. So is Joe Musgrove. You know, maybe they come and they pitch the last two games of the season. Now, Kyle Wright, maybe it's a ramp up for the playoffs, right? He could be, you know, doing for that. And obviously the Braves are going to be in the thick of the playoffs. The playoffs don't matter for fantasy. Are those two pitchers that you, you should say, you know what? They're really good pitchers. I, I, I'm going to keep them, even if it's one week. Is that at all? worth taking a stash on Kyle Wright maybe because Kyle Wright they'll let him build up in a game you may get a six inning if they bring him up they may get him you may get six innings out of him they always have that they're a rotating slot the Braves do for number four and five slot they've been doing that they may want to rest Charlie Morton down the stretch so you may get a good start out of him plus he's on a good team if he goes six innings five innings even you may get a win out of him Joe Musgrove what is the push right now for the Padres to push him to go for to go for right now because the Padres are they're done the, the Padres aren't making the playoffs what are they going to push him for another example Felix Batista if you have Felix Batista on your roster he has a, he has some quote unquote damage in his UCL is he coming back this year is he worth it on your roster right now what is he doing on your roster if someone has a UCL injury they're not coming back two weeks later. They're not coming back three weeks later. Usually they come back a couple of months later. So he's good enough as done. He's another guy that if he's on your bench, I don't see a reason for. Now, a guy like Alec Manoa may be a little bit different. He's more of a, not necessarily an injury, but just trying to get his head on straight and trying to, you know, get himself right. Because the Blue Jays are in it, they can't really you know, uh, use him as they would want to because they have to have a short leash for him. But I can still see getting some value out of Alec Manoa, but the other ones, I don't think so. Okay. Any disagreements, Patrick? No, not at all. I, I just wanted to remind our listeners that make sure you understand your league rules about when injured players need to be reactivated if they do. Uh, does your league have a, a separate injured list from a reserve list, all of these kind of things factor into the decisions that you make about rostering. And it's amazing to me when I talk to people who play fantasy baseball, how little they know about their own league rules. Yeah, always know your league rules. That's obviously the most important thing. And I, you know, I always tell people, you know, what's teaching people how to use the computer. I say the most important thing, the most important thing is where the power button is. <laughs> that's know, right you know, they laugh at that but, <laughs> but you know it's sort of true right you gotta know where you're starting from plus when you call oh sorry when you call service they always tell you turn it off and turn it back on so you better know where that power switch is yeah <laughs> that's right uh patrick we've been doing a bunch of these with some other guests and we, i'm sure we will uh over the uh, over the off season but wanted to get your take while you're on and you know, heading into the 2024 draft season, you know, we like to look back at what happened in 2023 and especially, you know, what you had as draft strategy. And maybe you can tell us a draft strategy that you came into the year with, it worked out, and maybe a draft strategy that you came into the year with and it didn't work out. 
A draft strategy that I had that I thought worked out really well was in the Tout Wars auction. And of course, auctions and straight drafts have a lot of differences which require you to think differently as far as the strategy that you plan to employ. But my strategy going in was to try to, uh, well, not to try to, to not take any player over $30 and only one player up to $30 and that everything else would be more of a spread the risk kind of approach. And it really worked. And the other aspect of that was I wanted to get two top starting pitchers to anchor my staff. And that half worked because I got Kevin Gosman, but it half didn't work because I got Christian Javier. And my pitching worked out because guys down the list uh, on my starting staff worked out pretty well. I also wanted to avoid spending heavily on closers. That worked out, I have to say, fairly well because the opportunity cost of spending money on a closer is that you can't spend money on four or five category guys elsewhere. And I think that's really important. And I ended up getting, you know, I'm middle of the pack in saves and my best, my best reliever saves-wise was uh, Clay Holmes of the Yankees, which is no great shakes. I, but I think I only spent $14 on him or something like that at the draft. So I thought that worked out pretty well. Things I did that didn't work out tended to be focused in my NFBC format leagues. I tried pitching too early this year, and I made up my mind I was going to get some a, a top closer and a top starter in both of those leagues. I got the I got the pitchers I wanted. I got Garrett Cole. I got Edwin Diaz, but I came to realize afterwards that again I think the opportunity cost is too high. I don't want to be spending a second round pick on a closer who's really a one category contributor at the expense of adding, I don't know, uh, you know, a Manny Machado or something like that who's going to contribute much more broadly across all the categories. And I think it's easier for top hitters to be that kind of contributor than it can possibly be for a closer. So I, I did wished I hadn't done that, not only because Edwin Diaz got hurt, of course, before the season even started, but even if he had pitched the whole season. I don't know that I I would I would follow the same strategy next year. I suspect I won't. Yeah, interesting. I'm not sure if I agree with all of that. I mean, obviously, you know, picking Diaz, I, I picked him too in a bunch of leagues. Obviously, that just it's the right strategy. It's the wrong, uh, you know, outcome of course, you know, of, of the injury. Um, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that there's a market premium for, for saves or a market premium for a bunch of, you know, quantities. And saves is just a category that you need to do. Um, now, in the NFBC, is a little bit different. There's also an overall component. You know, you can't win a league by punting. But I found that the better teams have some semblance of saves. Now, the go crazy for it, that never works. But if you have a bunch of closers um, in the same tier, either top, middle, or so, you need to get somebody in the top or middle, and it's okay to pay a market premium if everybody's paying it. You just want to pay less of a market premium. So going overboard and paying a second, third round value may not have been fine, but if you if you were uncomfortable in getting closer in the fourth round, you shouldn't be because they were pushed up all the way above that, right? Yeah, I'd rather be the I'd rather get the last guy in the group, in the tier that I'm looking at rather than the first. I think that was one of the errors I made. I could have waited until the third round and still got, you know, in that particular draft, Emmanuel Classe went in the third round fairly early, but still in the third round. Hader went in the third round. I just jumped the gun on Edwin Diaz, I think, and the injury notwithstanding, I, I like I said, I wish I hadn't done it. And another wise man once told me, it might even have been you, Ariel, any strategy works if you get the right players. Yeah. <laughs> That's also true. A any response, Ruve? Yeah, I think the one thing that I, I, I'm looking back and I thought we did right, and I didn't, don't, I don't think we really did it right, is still getting a lot of power. I know whenever I'm sitting next to you in the draft table, Ariel, I'm always saying we need more power, 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 power. Our teams are doing well this year, but the area we're lacking in is power, home runs and RBIs. And I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I have to look at it it's again. So it's so funny because exactly... we, we really went for power this year. Exactly. So I, I'm not sure. We just probably just picked 
the wrong guys. But our pitching did fine. Our overall hitting, the batting average did fine. They're still everything's fine. Except it seems like in every league, I'm chasing home runs and I'm chasing RBIs the entire season. I I don't know what it was. I have to look at it and and rehash it and see exactly what's going on. But I think also one thing that we did was, and I think we should, we regret it a little bit, is going after guys who we think are going to come back from injury a month into the season or something like that. We picked up. We had Severino coming off of an injury. We had uh, we. I, I know I had Verlander on a team who's coming into the season with an injury any guys coming off an injury you fall behind and it's hard to catch up in some of those stats and when they come back you don't know if they're going to be the, the player they were before the injury so I, I know I always say I want to stay away from the injured injured people but sometimes the bargains on the table it's hard not to take that bargain yeah you know it's so funny but you know every year and obviously we're very risk averse as you might know by now by listening to this show um, every year we always, you know, say we're going to avoid risk, avoid risk, avoid risk. And in some leagues, we say, wow, look at that price. We can get Severino. I, I know it's – but it's a $10 discount. And it more often than not just doesn't work out. I, I, I – if, if anything that I promise to do more in 2024 is really to say that. And and in the NFBC Auction League, Ruvain, the one thing that I just kept repeating over and over again is we're not going for any risk, period. No risk whatsoever, whatsoever, whatsoever. And that league has worked out the best for us. Um, just sticking to that principle of I know it's a big bargain, but you can't do it. And that really what, – what that really tells us, Ruvain, is that the – the the prices that we come up with have to be much more risk discount. It have to be risk adjusted for injury so much more. If you have suspicion of injury, that's got to factor into the price that you're willing to pay. And a bargain. If you have guys who's on your sheet or, or his, his, history of injury, even just a history yeah, of injury, history of injury. Yeah, Tulowitzki and those kinds of guys come in mind. You know, if you have a guy on your sheet that's fifteen dollars and he comes up at f- at nine, you're not really getting that six dollar bargain because you need to really risk discount him first and put that price back down at ten and say, you know what, it's just a dollar discount. I'm not taking just a dollar discount for the risk. The prices have got to be adjusted more uh, of that. I mean, Patrick, do do you find any of any of these risk guys really working out? I mean, Glass now did he work out? I guess. Um, there's so many more that didn't. Carlos Radon didn't. DeGrum didn't. Verlander, not really. Um, Severino was a huge bust. Like, I, I can't think, recall, wow, some guy got really lucky and that guy was such an injured player. And, you know, wow, you, you got lucky, you got an injury discount, and it worked. I just can't think of that. And if, and if there is, there's so much more the other way that it just doesn't make sense to even go that route. Well, my risk guy that I took because I thought I was getting a, a sufficient discount was Chris Sale of Boston, which I got for, I think, $9 in the uh, tout auction. And I thought at the time we believed that he was going to be back probably within the first three weeks or so. He was going to start in April, and I believe he did. I think he started fairly early in April. Uh, he started off very poorly, then he started pitching really well. He was piling up strikeouts like crazy. I was leading my league in strikeouts until he got hurt. And then when he got hurt, I realized that I'm not going to get even $10 worth of value out of Chris Sale because of all the time that he's going to miss, then the rehab time, then the struggles he has when he comes back from rehab time, which he has had, by the way. And the, the risk that we sometimes don't think about with a pitcher, a starting, a starting pitcher, is... Chris Sale came back and started pitching, but he still hasn't got to five innings. So I can't get wins out of Chris Sale, and I can't really get that many strikeouts because he's not he's not going deep enough into games because they're being very cautious with his recovery. He only had two rehab starts, I think. And for that reason, and for all those reasons combined, and in accordance with what you said, Ariel, I'm just not going to take those discounts, especially on pitchers anymore. Um, I mean, if Chris Sale, if the equivalent of Chris Sale comes up next year and it's $2, then yeah, I'll, I'll go. But at $10, I thought he was probably like a 4 or $5 bargain, and that's not enough, as you said. The discount for injury has to be stronger than that, especially for a guy like him who's had Tommy John and all kinds of other injury things. He falls off bicycles, he gets shovels in his foot or whatever the heck it was with all of those things no thanks I, i'm with you i'm just going to i'm going to say risk is not my friend 
Well, then, well, then, what about this player? What about Aaron Judge? He's gonna be. He's gonna have a toe injury. He said he's gonna be dealing with it in the off season. So technically, going to next season, he is a quote unquote injury risk. He's a big guy. He relies on his feet, and he's not. He's only really been healthy for maybe one full or two full seasons, and that's it. Is he worth the risk to be taking in the first or second round? Yes, he's still compiling the numbers, but is he compiling the first round numbers that you expect? So, Patrick, do you think he's a guy you're willing to take the risk on? Or I, I know Byron Buxton's at the window already. Byron Buxton, if, yeah. when he plays 100, 120 games again, then he'll get off the list. But I think a guy like Aaron Judge, who has a foot injury, he said he's going to be dealing with it, and he said he may even need surgery. What do you do with a player like that next year? And, and by the way, that's that's a really good question because – you know, we know he's at full strength. He's a first rounder. He's the front of the first round. And it's really just a question of, is the guy healthy? Obviously, we rely on guys like you, Ruvain, to tell us. But that's a great question. Well, yeah, Patrick, what are you going to do with, with Aaron Judge? Well, I, I think step one is if, if, you, if you have to project him at full value. You have to say to yourself, okay, if he plays 150 games, how much value is he going to create? And I think that number is going to be somewhere probably around 50 or $52 worth in five by five auction. Then I have to say, how much less than that am I willing to spend because I can't accept the risk that he plays 70 games or 90 games or 40 games. And it's that uncertainty. The, th the thing about those big dollar investments is they really have to pan out. They have to pan out. If you're going to be successful in your league in that year, you can't afford to spend $50 on Aaron Judge only to have him play half a season because now you're $25 in the hole before you even start. And it's almost impossible. It's not entirely impossible, but it's very, very difficult to make up a $25 shortfall right out of the gate in that way. So when it comes to Aaron Judge, I think I'll bid, I'll stay on the bidding till the low 20s and then I'll watch somebody else have him and good luck to them. And if he plays 150 games, then good for them. But I don't think he's going to, first of all. Another risk that you have to keep in mind is with guys who are injured, they, they get more days off. The team will give them more days off, especially if they consider themselves to be playoff contenders. They're going to want to say, you know what, we're going to skip this pitcher one start in every 10, like, like Clayton Kershaw gets skipped. Or if, if you've got Judge, they might say, oh, you know, we'll DH him once a week and we'll sit him once a week. So he only has to get, you know, 425 or 450 plate appearances. And if you're the owner in a fantasy league, you say, no, 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 he's got to get 650 plate appearances because I spent $50 on him in that expectation. Yeah, I think there's also a distinction that hitter is it's very different than the pitcher. That, you know, the hitter, you know, if if – they're missing playing time. They're missing a certain amount, and they can come back. Um, pitchers are way more iffy and way more binary in terms of, well, he's out for the year, or oh my God, they're crushing your ERAs and WHIP. Like if if even if you know if if you had Anthony Rizzo this year and you were playing him for a while and he hit you know oh fifty for a while, it's not crippling you. It's bad. It's not crippling you, but you know it's. It, it, an offer is different than than a bomb for a pitcher, and the the length of time missed for pitchers is quite more. Uh, as you were talking, and by the way, I, I, I as you mentioned, Clinton Kershaw, Clinton Kershaw is one of the exceptions, but I don't consider Clinton Kershaw an injured pitcher. I consider him an innings managed pitcher. That you know, whatever it is, he's getting your 115, 120 innings a year, and it's going to be good. So you just have to set your prices for exactly that, and that's it. And one other point. The only pitcher that I think I'd be willing to accept the discount, and it's actually beneficial, is in spring training, you hear a report that, oh, he tweaked something, you know, and it's not even a, 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 an arm or shoulder related, like, you know, a hamstring or whatever. I'm willing to take that discount because that's not a debilitating injury, and that actually gives you a buying opportunity in a draft. But if it's an arm issue, if it's a, I don't know when he's coming back, the the risk discount's got to be enormous for me in order to to take it, and that's what we did with Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove had the foot injury, and he was being sold at a discount later in the, later in the draft season. And you were able to get a good bargain on him. And when he did play, I mean, you know, he hasn't played the last couple of weeks, but when you did get him, you got the value that you wanted to get out of him. But Rizzo's offers to get back to what Ario was saying, they don't hurt you in the same way that a, that a blow up catastrophe by a pitcher does. 
But there is an additional problem with keeping him in your roster is the opportunity cost of the slot not sure. getting any production. Sure. And I think that you always have to keep that in mind. You're keeping Rizzo in there, and he's even if he's not killing your batting average, he's not contributing anything else either. And you have to ask yourself, would I be better off with player X, Y, or Z in the slot because I need the slot to produce some, some value? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. The Rizzo is killing you, but, uh, you know, it's minus $15 worth of value, not minus $30 with a bomb of a pitcher is my point, you know. All right. Oh, yeah. Great great discussion there. Let's get some waiver wire in for this week. And uh, so who is a player, Patrick, that you might be interested in picking up off the waiver wires for this coming week? The first guy who interests me is Hunter Goodman of Colorado. He's a call-up. He was called up earlier this week. He's nominally a catcher, but I don't think he's going to catch, although he's apparently working really hard on his defense. It's not that good. He's a double-A guy, got promoted to triple-A in August, and uh, his slash line for the minors across the minors is 259, 338, 586 slugging, 924 OPS with 34 homers. The rest of his game's not so good. He's a big swing and miss guy. He's just got massive power. And when I hear the words massive power and Colorado in the same sentence, of course I'm going to be interested. Yeah, you know, uh, C-O-L, those are the three best letters to hear for a hitter. Uh, no, good yeah. good pick. Ruvain, how about you? I actually have four different guys because two of them are prospects that are just being called up today. Um, one of them I mentioned already, Jason Dominguez, the Martian. He's 42 already, 42% owned in CBS. I saw him play. He When he played, he hit an opposite field double, legged it out with no problem, and early in the game, he stole second base. He plays the outfield. He's going to play left field most probably to start with. Oh, actually, he can play center. He's a natural center fielder. And with, and with Harrison Bader gone, he's going to get playing time, and they're going to see what they have with him. Over the course of, of, of the of the AAA season, he only had nine games at triple a nine uh, three doubles three stolen bases and a 419 batting average in triple a in double a 15 homers 37 stolen bases and a 254 average he looked good and he's a guy to look for another guy being called up um on the mets here brett Beatty. um since he was sent down to the minors he's batting 298 with 10 overs and two stolen bases i think the mets want to see what they have them because they're retooling their whole organization and they want to see if they actually have a player here Another guy on the Mets, DJ Stewart. He is just going nuts. He's only 8% on the CBS. In the last couple of weeks, 333 average, 5 homers, 10 RBIs. He's doing everything, and he's batting 4th or 5th in that lineup right now behind the big boppers. So he's a, an excellent guy. He's an outfield guy. And another outfield guy that I, want, I have to mention, that I've always mentioned him, he's one of my favorites, and that's Michael Taylor. He's only 9% on in CBS. In the last three weeks, he's batting 344 Five homers, a stolen base, nine RBIs. He's he was a little even a little dinged up during that time period as well. But he's playing very well, and he's gonna they're gonna try to play him down the stretch because Minnesota has to try to stay in first place because Cleveland did everything they did to try to get into the playoff mat. Uh, you know, so, and with my and with Byron Buxton still out, Michael Taylor's getting the playing time. Yeah, I was gonna mention a couple of those as well. DJ Stewart, he is so hot in his last thirteen games. Eight homers, 15 RBI. Uh, that guy is just crazy right now. Um, and uh, you did mention Jason Dominguez. But how about other Mets? I, I, was, I thought you would mention the other Mets prospect being called up. Ronnie Mauricio batting 292 this year in AAA with 23 homers, 24 stolen bases, 71 RBI in AAA. He looks great. He looked great in spring training. To be honest, maybe the Mets could have used him throughout the season. I think he would have been better served here. Uh, that's a guy to look for. I'll give you two more. Uh, Elvis Andrus. He's a guy for deeper leagues. He's been pretty hot lately. Uh, in August, three homers, five steals, batting 346. He's definitely 15-team relevant. If you need a guy and you just need a little boost of steals, the waiver wire looks barren. But Elvis Andrews can help you with steals, and he's not a zero in every single category elsewise. Um, he's a guy who's gotten hot in the second half of seasons recently. I would really, really look at Elvis Andrus. Um, and uh, how about Trevor May, another former Met here? Um, in this past month, 10 innings pitch, 9 strikeouts, 2-6-1 ERA, 1-2 whips, 6 saves. Um, if you need saves, I know it's the Oakland Athletics, but May's the guy. He's posting everything. He's really into it. I May's been doing great. Uh, I would I would roll with him. I picked him up in a couple leagues, and he's definitely helped us. 
Anyone else? 15 saves. Yeah, May has 15 saves since June the 1st. So uh, I think he's an interesting guy, but uh, the underlying metrics are not strong. I'll just I'll just say that. I do have two more. I thought we were going to go round and round. My second guy is Cavan Biggio in Toronto. Uh, Bo Bichette and Matt Chapman are both on the IL, which is really straining the uh, Blue Jays' infield situation. And Biggio, he's not... He started his career stronger than he finished has finished it so far. Let's just say that. But if you if you prorate what he's done this year, he's on a pace for a 22 homer, 15 stolen base year in 650 plate appearances. And I think they have to play him while those while those other guys are out. So far, they've been using guys like Ernie Clement and Mason McCoy, and these guys are not the future of the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't think necessarily that Biggio is either. But we're talking about getting playing time down the stretch, and I think they're going to be relying on him because they've played him at second this year, they've played him at short, they've played him at third, they've played him in right. This is a guy who's going to get some plate appearances down the stretch with these injuries. And the other guy I'd like to mention is a reliever also, uh, Danny Coulomb, a left-handed reliever in Baltimore. With the mountain Felix Bautista is done for the year, as we've heard. Coulomb's going to step up and be the second in command behind Yenier closer behind Yenier Cano the closer, and being a left-hander, he's going to always be in those high-leverage situations. I think he's got two saves this year, four vulture wins, and I think that Baltimore team is the kind of team you want to have those eighth-inning guys in because there's lots of chances of come from behind wins and so forth. He has a 2.59 ERA and a 106 WHIP this year, and interestingly. He's more effective against right-handers than he is against left-handers. And the reason is his primary pitch is a cut fastball. And you New Yorkers probably remember a relief pitcher who threw a cut fastball who was more effective against opposite-handed John Franco. John, John I was Franco. thinking of Mariano Rivera. Mariano, Mariano. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it's true. It's by, the way, it's, by the way, it's, it's true for John Franco also. He was much better against uh, the righties against the lefties. Well... Biggio and Coulomb in particular, I think, are deep league kind of ads. I don't think you're going to be interested in 10 or 12 teamers because there's no reason to add a guy like either of them. But in your 15 teamers, your 20 teamers, I think if you've got an open slot, Danny Coulomb will help your ratios or certainly not hurt them. And he might back into a few saves, a few wins. I like guys like this. And the fact, and the fact that the Orioles have two other lefties in the bullpen, they can use them in high leverage situations. So I like that pick. Yep. Yeah, we've stressed the entire season about picking up Yannier Cano, even in 12-team leagues, because he gets those ratios, he gets those strikeouts, the occasional vulture win, the occasional vulture save, and the possibility of if something happened to Batista, he's in it, and take a look. You're going to get a month of Yannier Cano. So, uh, we, I mean, Ruben and I own him on at least half our teams, at least. Um, so, you know, we've got another anointed closer on a very, very good team because, uh, you know, we did that. Hey, Cano is going to end up with uh, being very, very valuable this year. All right, let's do a couple. And next. Of... And next, that's right, and next. Uh, keep, uh, let's keep rolling with the pitcher preview, uh, getting to the end of the season, and where you're going to be looking at starters that are going to be good for this week and even for, for two weeks from now. Uh, who's a pitcher, uh, Patrick, or a couple pitchers that you're looking at for uh, this coming week to pick up? Well, first, I think this might be the greatest two-start week for a pitcher in history. Atlanta right-hander Spencer Strider starts Tuesday at home to St. Louis, and then he's at home to Pittsburgh. How great is that for a two-start week? He might get 100 strikeouts. Yeah, I know, he's not available. I just thought it was funny. Um, I also looked at a couple of other guys. What I do in these two-start situations when I'm looking is I'm looking for anybody who's got some combination of pitching against Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Detroit, or Oakland. And there is somebody who's... <laughs> there's, a, there's one guy who's got a start at KC and the second at Detroit this week, and it's Chicago White Sox right-hander Jesse Schultens. And if he, get, if he gets skipped for any reason this week, his next start would be at home versus Kansas City. So it's pretty good. The problem is that Jesse Schultens isn't very good as a pitcher. He's 1-6. and six. He's got a 4 ERA and a 130 whip, 47 strikeouts in 70 innings, and 22 walks. So I don't know how bad. I don't know if I'd pitch this guy against the Little League team from California. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's tough. I mean, what do you do with a crappy pitcher who's got great matchups? I mean, 
Ruben, I, I mean, I, I generally don't want to start crappy pitchers, period, even if it's good matchups. I'll start me, mediocre pitchers against good against bad matchups, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, one of the guys that I have here is uh, David Peterson. He's supposed to start one start against Washington against Patrick Corbin. Now, he's only owned 12% in CBS leagues, and he's been pretty decent recently. He has a 3.52 ERA. His whip is not that great, but he's getting you some strikeouts, and he's actually, last couple of games, he's gone deeper into innings. I actually saw him this past Sunday when he was playing, at, when he was playing um, the Angels, and he looked very sharp. He looked very good. He looked like he his mechanics were great. And, you know, against the Nationals in Washington, I'll take that any day. Another guy on the Mets, I, it happens to be that all the Mets pitchers are, a lot of them are available. Jose Quintana, he's only 31% owned, a possible two-start, also at Washington and at Minnesota. Now, Quintana's been right now the second-best pitcher on the Mets. That's not saying that much, but he's the second-best <laughs> pitcher on the Mets. Um, and he's going deep into games, so he's giving you the opportunity to get wins. And that's very important late in the season. He could probably go pretty deep into the game against Washington, probably against Minnesota also. So I think he's a guy that if he's available, he can go deep in the game maybe get you a win. And another guy I want to mention, just because he's been doing so well recently, and that's Matt Manning. Yes, he pitches for Detroit, but... He pitched today against the Yankees, six innings, two hits, four Ks. Before that, the last 17 and two-thirds innings, he only has six strikeouts, but he's got two wins, an ERA of .51, and a whip of .68. They, the Tigers are not going to shut him down. He's only made 13, 14, sorry, 14 starts this season. So if he has a good matchup and he's available in your league, he's a guy to look at because he seems like one of the hotter pitchers out there right now. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm okay with pitchers on crappy teams. Uh, that that's fine, you know, as long as they're hot and as long as uh, they have a good matchup, I'm fine with them. I'll give you a couple guys. Uh, Darius Vines on Atlanta, 10% owned. He's an older prospect. He had a good year in the minors, 270 RA, 111 whip, almost 10K per nine. He had a very good start against Colorado in his debut. He does pitch for Atlanta, so go five innings and you might get a win. He's double two start against St. Louis and then Pittsburgh at home. And then next week, he's at Miami for a start. So, you know, this is not for everybody. This is for deeper leagues. But if you're chasing wins and you're okay with the RA and whip, it might be a decent lottery ticket. Uh, more than a lottery ticket. It might be a, a good card to play. Uh, Kyle Hendricks, he's still available in tons of leagues. He has a 3.59 ERA on the year with a 113 whip. It sounds like Kyle Hendricks to me. Not a lot of strikeouts, but this is what he usually does. I mean, you know, he's a pitcher that I used to rely on. He's two-start versus San Francisco and Arizona, and then next week at Arizona, that's not bad. 15-team league, he should be picked up. Even 12-team league depends on who you have to play instead, right? Uh, but Kyle Hendricks is somebody who's interesting. And how about Patrick Corbin versus the Mets? Corbin does strike out some players. The Mets are not a great team, especially against the lefties. Take a shot. I don't know. It's it's one of these uh, guys. If you got some ERA that you can lose a little bit, and, and you know, just uh, give it a shot. Again, this is darts at the end of the season. There's nobody to pick up here. That well, this guy is going to be great for the rest of the season. We're talking about darts just to help you gain a win here, a win there. Then that could make the difference for you in terms of catching your championship. Hey, I have a question for you guys. This week, uh, Seattle is going to be at Cincinnati and at Tampa, which means George Kirby and Bryce Miller are both going to get two starts, one against Cincinnati, one against Tampa. They're both pretty high strikeout teams. They strike out a lot against right-handed pitching, and they're not really that good as far as Woba is concerned, but they score runs, especially Tampa at home. So in most formats, weekly move formats, if you want to start either of them, you have to start them for both starts. What do you guys think about measuring the two starts as far as whether you want to do both or do none because you can't just do one? So, first of all, I think George Kirby is not going to start two start. I think he's scheduled for Sunday. So, that that would be that would only give him one start. But in general, the question is um, you know, if you have a pitcher above a certain line, you just got to roll with him. 
And, right. you know, if they're going to be pitching six innings, you know, a bunch of starts, you know, you, you're getting chances for wins. Guys who are consistently going d deep, especially guy Kirby, he doesn't give up any walks, right? His walk rate is one of the lowest in the history of baseball for the amount of time he's pitched. Um, you know, th that's a guy who's going to limit contact. I I'm good with no matter what team he, he pitches against. Uh, and you got to roll with two. Even guys who are in the middle, um, if you don't roll with them, and our general rule on the show is if you're not going to roll with them in a two-start week, what the hell are they doing on your roster? Right? There's almost no reason for them to be on your roster if you can't put them in a two-start week, whoever it is. Right? Uh, so that's my general rule is pretty much play or, or drop almost. What about Bryce Miller, who's a rookie? Well, they're not going to shut him down. I don't think they're going to shut um, him Miller down. And I think if you're going to get all those strikeouts, how many more two-start weeks are you going to get out of them? Maybe one more? So you got to get those strikeouts now when you can because you're going to be looking for yeah. them later on the waiver wire. I'd rather get them now when we're playing on a hot team. The, the Mariners are very hot. No matter what, even if they give up four or five runs, the Mariners are scoring so many runs right now and they're doing so well that they can even still get a win with that. It's like, it's like, I mean, would you rather have him or would you rather have a quote-unquote Rich Hill type guy who may go five innings, who may give up five runs, who may give up a couple of strikeouts, get a couple of strikeouts, but a less chance for wins. I think if there's a chance for wins and they're going five innings, six innings, I think you have to, at this point you have to roll with them. Yeah, if you have a two-start week of a pitcher and there's four weeks left of the season, you're talking about 40 to 50% of the entire rest of season production this week. So it's pretty much play or drop, I think. Yep. All right. Well, that's uh, it for that. Up to the injury report. Ruven, we've been off for a couple of weeks here, so it's going to be some injured players. And unfortunately, a lot of them happen to be out for the season. I wanted to mention Felix Batista. They said he's got an, a UCL injury, and I mentioned before that he had they said right arm discomfort. They weren't sure exactly what it was. They haven't even given a timeline yet, and it's Today we're taping this. Is it's August 31st. A pitcher with an injured elbow, no timeline, one month left of the season, no time to ramp back up. What are you going to get out of them? Are they going to really put them in a high-pressure situation and, and, and risk further injury for their, for, for their young closer? I don't think that's the case. So I think he's a, he's a pretty good uh, situation where you can drop him and not have to worry about who's going to pick up him next week. You think someone's going to pick up Felix Batista next week? I don't think so. Another guy, if you've been holding on to and hoping they'd come back, Nick Ludolo, he's done for the year. He actually re-injured, and he had another stress reaction in his left tibia. He's done for the year. He can be dropped. Adrian Hauser, I know a lot of people are looking about possibly streaming some Brewers pitchers because they're actually uh, doing pretty decently. Adrian Hauser has an elbow injury. Um, Craig Council actually said the hope is that Hauser will miss only a couple of starts and then be ready to rejoin the, the rotation. We'll see how that goes, but a guy to look for is Julio Tehran. He's on the IL right now. He's supposed to come off, and he may come off to take Adrian Hauser's spot. So if you're looking for a streamer on Milwaukee with a good chance to get possible wins, he's a guy to look for. Tony Gonsolin, he's, he's scheduled for Tommy John surgery this week. He's, he's done for this year, probably done for next year. And I do want to try to end on a little positive news. So I'm going to mention J.D. Martinez. They said the Dodgers said he's going to have only a two-game rehab assignment, and then hopefully he should be able to be activated. But the soonest he can be activated is on or around September 8th. So that's something to watch for. Um, he's a guy, He, if you still need power, it's going to be a question. Let's see how he does when he comes back. But I think he's an older veteran. I think he knows what he's doing. And I also have to mention that on Fangraphs, Jay Jaffe actually wrote a great article discussing, discussing Tommy John's surgery and all the injuries to the UCL and everything like that. If you're on the website, if you're on Fangraphs, which I hope you are, you will find that article, take a look at it. You'll see that uh, uh, Tommy John surgeries have been down over the last couple of years. UCL injuries have been down the last couple of years. So we're hearing them now, but we really didn't hear too much of it during the course of the season, which is a good thing. Oh, great stuff. Uh, always check out Jay and check out Fangrass, of course. And check out the Baseball HQ Radio podcast. I want to thank uh, Patrick Davitt for coming on the show. You you have such a fantastic uh, uh podcast uh, that's been around for quite a while and we're so uh honored and privileged to have you uh once again on our show so thank you so much for coming on oh the pleasure was all mine it's so much fun to to be on the other side of the mic as it were and, and still have such tremendous baseball conversation and so much intelligence and, and analysis it's just great this is a this is a terrific podcast and i'm always really just tickled pink to be on the show uh, well, definitely mutual uh, over there. I, I was just on the uh, the podcast a couple weeks ago. Check that episode out. 
Uh, it's a good one, of course. Um, and check out the show. <laughs> Anything else going on, Patrick, other than the uh, podcast for you? Um, no, not really. Uh, just curious if you're planning on attending First Pitch Arizona. I will be there. That's the plan. Well, I'll be there too, so I'll see you there. Ruvain, are you going? That's the plan, yep. Yeah. Oh, good. Details fantastic. are details are trickling in. Baseball HQ does a fantastic job. It's going to be the first weekend in November. Starts on, I'm getting it on the Wednesday. It's starting from Thursday through Sunday. There is a home run derby Saturday night. At right across the street at Sloan Park, there's going to be the Fall Stars Classic uh, late afternoon on the Sunday. Tons of games to go to, tons of panels, tons of live podcasts. We'll all be there. I'll be doing panels. We'll be doing panels. Uh, it's so much fun. You meet so many people. It's ginormous. Uh, it's just a great, great weekend and long extended week. Uh, definitely, if you have not tried it yet, Definitely try it this year. It just gets better and better every single year. You see old guys, young guys, and everyone in between. I mean, and gals, young guys and gals. You know, uh, so there you go. All right. Well, um, that's Patrick uh, Ruvain. What about you? What's uh, what's going on with you? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. You can also read, still read my weekly article on Rotoboiler discussing all the injuries I discussed today, as well as many others, and the next man up for each player. All right, and my name is Ariel Cohen. You can see my stuff over at Fangraph's Rotograph section. You can see the ATC rest of season projections. Going to be through the end of the season. Also at Rotoboiler and at ATCNY on... Is it X, Twitter? I don't even know what to say. Uh, everybody else is confused with me, so we'll just go with Twitter and X. And, uh, of course, right here on the Beat the Shift podcast, we'll do a couple more episodes before the end of the season. And then, uh, and then yeah, and then we'll probably take a little break until, uh, until Arizona. So that's the story here. Um, once again, thank you so much to Patrick Davitt for coming on the show. It was a great episode. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, Hope you're chugging and making a great push in the final weeks of the season. Hopefully, this podcast helped you give you good ideas, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore shift underscore pod.